Right, so back a, a couple years ago, um, we bought this kind of gray cloth ottoman for our living room. And, you know, having young kids, when we bought this ottoman, we kind of brought them all in. We sat them down. We're like, all right, guys, like, listen up. Here's the deal. Um, you are not allowed to have, like, any markers. You can't have any crayons. You can't have sidewalk chalk. Like, you can't have anything around this ottoman. We just bought this. We don't want to see this thing covered in markers. So we all had this conversation. They looked us in the eye. They all said, we understand. We get it. We're good to go. Whatever. So, of course, like, three days later, we walk into the living room, and the brand new light gray cloth ottoman is covered in red marker. So like, awesome. That, that lasted a while. And so we kind of look at the kids, and we're like, all right, Azariah, we're starting with you. Bring Azariah in. He was kind of the most likely culprit at the time. He's around three or four years old. So we brought him in. We're like, hey, uh, Azariah, did you color on the ottoman? And Azariah looks down at the ottoman. He looks up at us, and he goes, yep. I mean, he's got like a smile on his face too. Like this kid is proud of what he just did. Like he, he thinks he just painted the Mona Lisa or something. He thinks his artwork is beautiful. So he's like, yep, I did it. That was me. And so like, buddy, like we had this conversation. Like you knew what you were supposed to do. Like you're going to have to get a little spanking now. So give him a, a little light spanking. And, you know, of course he gets upset. He cries. He kind of runs off into the corner of the room to console himself. So when he starts running off, he starts crying. Graceland, who's like five or six at the time, she kind of slowly wanders into the living room. Like she's got this kind of sad face. Her lip is quivering. We're like, Graceland, what is wrong? And she says, um, Azariah didn't color on the ottoman. I did. And so the first response was Chris and I looked at each other. We looked over at Azariah crying in the corner of the room. And we're like, man, we are the worst parents in the history of the world. Like, we just punished the wrong kid. This is awful. But after we kind of got over that feeling, we kind of sat down Graceland. And we're like, hey, Graceland, listen, here's the deal. You shouldn't have done that, whatever. But the fact that you came and were honest with us, the fact that you came and confessed that to us when you didn't have to, like it was over, it was done with, we were moving on, and we never would have found out. But you came and you confessed that to us, and the fact that you did that makes us even more proud than if you had never done it in the first place. We're so proud of our daughter for confessing this because confession, being open and honest about our mistakes, confession is an incredibly powerful thing. And so we're going to see that this morning from uh, the New Testament from James chapter 5. If you've got a Bible and want to kind of follow along, you can turn there. If not, we'll have the verses on the screens and you can follow along that way if you're not sure how to find it. But James 5 is going to show us the power of confession. Now, as we dig into that this morning, kind of as a preface, we need to understand that biblically speaking, there are two different kinds of confession that the Bible calls us toward. The first is confession to God. First and foremost, the Bible calls us to confess our sins to God. So this is what it says in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. John writes, he says, If we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, talking about God, if we confess our sins to God, listen to what he does. It says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all wickedness. So first, the Bible commands us to go to God in confession. We confess our sin to God. And here's the awesome thing. We can go and we can do this directly to God. Right? What the book of Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is our great high priest. And so what that means is that through Jesus, our high priest, we can directly approach God. So this is huge for us to understand before we move on. 
What this means is that if we're in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ, we do not need another mediator to approach God. Right? So me, as your pastor, listen to this, if you're in Christ, I may be your pastor, but I am not your mediator between you and God the Father. You do not need to go through me to access God. You have that direct access to God through Jesus, our great high priest. And so that's why if you've been here at Garden Oaks, when we do the benediction at the end of the service, that's why we do it a little different. Instead of just one pastor kind of speaking that blessing over the congregation, we believe we, are all, we all have access to God the Father. We all have the same high priest in Christ, so we can all come together and we can all speak this blessing over one another because we all have direct access to the throne of God. You can pray directly to God through Christ. You can appeal directly to God through Christ. You don't have to go through anyone else. And so what that means as it relates to the confession of our sin is you and I, we can come and we can confess directly to God the Father. We don't need another high priest. We don't need another mediator through Christ. We have that direct access to God. So we can come and confess to God. And here is why the Bible calls us to first come and confess our sin to God. It's because theologically speaking, all sin is ultimately sin against God. And so here's what I mean by that. So let's say if like in the next few minutes, like you're tired, you, you know, had a long Thanksgiving, like you start kind of dozing off in the sermon. And so I see you falling asleep and I see you falling asleep and I get really offended because I'm like insecure and I'm like, what's wrong with me, man? They're falling asleep. And so I get mad at you for falling asleep. And so let's say during the last song, I kind of sneak out real quick. I go and I let all the air out of your tires in the parking lot. Now, if I did that, and I wouldn't do that, okay? I wouldn't do that. Maybe I would. I don't know. Don't fall asleep and find out. But if I did that, that, that would be an offense to you. I would have committed a wrong against you. That's true. I would have sinned against you. But ultimately, even beyond that, I would have sinned against God because you are someone that God has created. So I would have been committing this act against God's creation. And ultimately, that would have been a violation of how God has commanded me to live when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So ultimately, while I committed this offense against you, ultimately above that, I have sinned against God. We learn that from David in the Old Testament. David commits this horrendous atrocity where he sins against this woman Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. It's this dark, twisted, evil story. And ultimately, eventually, when David is confronted with this sin and he goes to God in confession, what David says, he says, God, against you have I sinned. He did sin against Bathsheba and he did sin against Uriah. That is true. But David said, ultimately, God, I have sinned against you. So all sin is sin against God. So we are called to confess our sin to God. And then there in that verse, bring it up back real quick. Here's what John says happens when we do that. Says he is faithful and just to forgive us. Here, here's the awesome thing. When we blow it, when we fail, when we mess up, we don't have to sit back, we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to be timid, we don't have to wonder how God will respond to us. He's already told us how he would respond. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So that's the first biblical kind of confession that we are called to do. We are called to confess our sin to God. Now, most of us stop there. We confess our sin to God and we say, okay, that's it. I'm good. I've done that deed. I don't need to do anything else. But there's actually another kind of biblical confession that we are called to. And so James 5, 16, this is what James writes. 
James says, confess your sins, not just to God, but here he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He says, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, here in our tradition, we're Protestant, meaning we are not Catholic. And if you grew up in a, in a Catholic tradition, you know that a big part of confession in the Catholic church is where, you know, you go into the church building and then you go and you confess directly to the priest. Now, us in our tradition, we don't do that. And again, the reason we don't do that is because we already talked about Jesus is our high priest. Right? Jesus is that only mediator that we need between us and God. So we don't need another mediator. We don't need another pastor. We don't need another priest. We can take our sin and confess directly to God the Father through God the Son, Jesus Christ. So as Protestants, we don't, we don't do the whole like going and confessing to the priest thing. But, but here's what we need to consider. What often happens when you try to correct an error which that is because, again, Jesus is our high priest. We don't need to confess to a priest. But often what happens when we correct an error, we, we start to swing, and we don't stop at the correction point, but we often swing into the other extreme, right? We see this all the time. And I think this is one of those areas that sometimes happen where as Protestants we think, okay, well, we don't have to go to the priest. We don't have to go to our pastor for confession. I just confess my sin to God, and then I wipe my hands. I'm done. It's just me and Jesus, me and my personal relationship, and that's all I need to do, and then I'm good to go. But here, James does say, confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to each other. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, let's stop and kind of think, why is this? Why does James tell us that we should be in this habit, we should make this a practice of confessing our sin to one another? Because remember, in 1 John, it already told us that if we confess to God, we are forgiven. That once we go to God and confess our sin to Him, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us. So if we are forgiven then why in the world do we still need to go and confess our sin to each other? And so it's not to find forgiveness, because again, we find forgiveness through God. We don't confess our sin to each other to find forgiveness, but we do confess our sin to each other to find freedom. And and here's why. When we confess our struggles to one another, when we commit to walking alongside of one another faithfully in love and in relationship and we're able to be honest and open with one another about what we're struggling with, what begins to happen is we see the power of sin broken in our life. And here's why. It's because sin thrives in the darkness. Sin thrives in the shadows. When we keep our sin hidden, that's when it has the most power over us. But when we expose our sin to the light, when we're open and honest and transparent, that's when the light comes into the darkest corners of our lives and the power that sin holds on us begins to be weakened. Now, here's the deal before we go on. As we kind of think about this and we kind of Think about what this would look like in our own lives. As you think about, okay, like, so you're saying the Bible tells me that, like, not just to God, but 
I should at times make a habit, make a practice of actually confessing my struggles, confessing my sin to other people. And you start to think about like those deepest, darkest secrets that you try to hide from everybody that you don't want anybody to know. And you think even about the possibility of sharing that with somebody. What happens in your heart right now? What happens? Overwhelming fear and anxiety, right? Like that, that's natural. That's all of us. We, we think about this and all of us, we just feel the sense of anxiety and fear and here's why. We are terrified that if we did this, if we were open, if we were transparent, if people knew the real us, we are terrified we would no longer be accepted and loved. Because right? as human beings, as human beings, one of our greatest desires, one of our greatest needs is to be fully loved. Every single one of us, whether we would put that language around it or not, deep down we want to be fully loved. That's our greatest desire. But here's our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is being fully known. Because we are afraid that if we were truly fully known, if someone saw the deepest, darkest, realest version of us, we're terrified that there's no way they could still fully love us and accept us. And by the way, that's one of the things that's so beautiful about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's that God fully sees you and I. Like nothing is hidden from God. He sees the deepest, darkest depths of our hearts. And through Christ, he still loves us and accepts us fully. That's the gospel. It is beautiful. But with one another, that's scary, isn't it? And so what we do is we oftentimes, we work so hard to cover up our sin instead of confessing our sin to each other out of fear that when we do, we're going to be pushed away instead of being welcomed in. But, but here's the challenge for us, and here's what I think would just honor God so much here at Garden Oaks, is if, if we could become the kind of place, if we could be a kind of church that is the safest place on earth for broken, busted up sinners who still struggle with sin to come together as a family and be able to be open and honest and transparent about their struggles, and they won't be pushed out, but instead they will be pulled in even closer, right? Wouldn't you love that? I know I would. Two of you would. That's awesome. We'll start there. The rest of you will bring along eventually. They'll get on the ride. Right, so, so here's the question. How can we do that? Because that's a big task, right? Like that, that does not and it will not happen overnight. It will not happen easily. So how could we become that kind of church? As I kind of think through this and I look at what James says here, I think there's three things that we have to commit to to actually be that kind of place. First, we have to commit to relationships. Right here, when James says, confess your sins to each other, he is writing in the context of relationship within the family of God, within the local church. Right? When he says, confess your sin to one another, the context you know, is not like when, you know, I don't know, you go to the bank and you're sitting there with the teller who you don't even know, and you say, hey, can I, I need to confess something to you. Here's what I did last night. Like, and you just spill the beans on them. Like, that's weird. That's awkward. Don't do that. Right? That's not what James is saying. When he writes, confess your sin to one another, this is within the context of family, of relationship. Now listen, here's the deal. On a practical level, this is why here at Garden Oaks, we want so badly for you to be involved, to be plugged into a small group. Because here's the reality. We're not a huge church by any means. 
But even in a church this size, it will be impossible. I won't even say nearly impossible. I'll go all the way and say it will be impossible for you to walk into this room every single Sunday and just in the hour that you are here in this size room, it will be impossible for you to develop the kind of connection, the kind of relationship where you will eventually be able to get to the point with somebody where you will be able to do this and put this into practice. And so we need to be involved. We need to be plugged into a small group so that we can walk through life with one another. And again, even in that environment, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a while. But through walking with one another in life, we eventually grow and we deepen that relationship and we become comfortable enough with other people where we know and we trust that we love them and they love us enough so we can be open and honest and transparent about what we're struggling with and what we are going through. So if we are going to actually be able to become a kind of church that puts into practice what James writes, where he says, confess your sin to one another, it's got to start through deep, meaningful relationship. It can't just happen through casual acquaintanceship. We have to commit to relationship. Another thing we've got to commit to is we've got to commit to being real. First, to experience the benefit, we'll see what that is in a second, but to experience the benefit of confessing our sin with one another, we have to just... Take off the mask and commit to being real. We have to stop this kind of charade of like Bible Belt, Southern hospitality. If you come into church, you pretend like everything's great, everything's going perfect, and you've got it all together when really things are falling apart. Listen, pretending it doesn't do anything good for you and it doesn't do anything good for the rest of us. Right? When you're wearing a mask, when you're pretending, when you're not being transparent and authentic, you know the real you, and so it just makes you feel ashamed. It's not good for you, and it's not good for the rest of us, because here's the deal. I know I don't have everything together. I know I've got struggles. I know I've got issues. And so if I come in here every single Sunday morning, and the rest of you are pretending like you don't, then I feel like I'm alone in my struggles. I feel like I'm the only one still wrestling with sin. I feel like I'm the only one who still deals with brokenness in my life. And I'm not, but when everybody else around me pretends, I start to believe that I'm the only one who's got issues, and I begin to be covered with shame and lies and all of these things. We've got to commit to being real. We've got to first commit to those kind of relationships where we can grow in love for one another and get to the point where we can take off the mask, we can take off the facade and commit to being real with one another. And, and then the most important thing we need to commit to if we're going to become that kind of church, and I know this is going to sound cliche, but I'll unpack it, but we need to commit to the gospel. Right, through the gospel, what we mean by the gospel is that we have sinned, our sin has separated us from God, but God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, died pain for our sin, and rose from death so that we could be forgiven and have eternal relationship with God. So through the gospel, what happens, and what it said there in John, that verse we read, through the gospel, when we confess to God, we are not pushed out, but instead we are pulled in. We don't find judgment and guilt we find unconditional love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. So as a church, if we have received the gospel, if that's what has happened, if that's what God has done for us, then we have a responsibility 
When other people come to us in relationship and they begin to take off the mask and they live transparently and they begin to confess things to us, we have a responsibility not to respond in judgment, not to respond in disbelief and say, oh my goodness, you did what? How could you do that? But respond, yes, with truth and honesty, but truth and honesty married with grace and love and to pull them in even closer. I just think about the story of the prodigal son. Like this beautiful parable that Jesus told, maybe one of the most beautiful stories of all time. And long story short, there was this son who just completely spit in his father's face, brought all of this shame to his father and to his family, blew his inheritance and all this stuff. Eventually he comes to his senses, realized he was an idiot, and says, I need to come home. He starts writing this whole apology speech. It's like a mile long. He starts writing off all the ways. Basically, he's going to pay off his sin and earn his way back into his father's home. He starts to make the journey back home, and the whole time the father was looking for him. And the father sees him coming from a long way off, and the father takes off and runs to him. And as soon as they get together, the son goes in to his whole apology, his whole spiel about how he's going to work his way back into the family. And he says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And the father basically says, Stop it, I've heard enough. And the father says, Quick, somebody get a robe and give him some clean clothes. Get the family ring, put it on his finger. Somebody go fi- kill the fattened calf. we got to throw a party because my son has come back home. But the father in that story, he doesn't say, hey, I need to make sure you understand the weight and the consequences of what you've done to this family. No, the moment the son returned home, the father welcomed him with open arms and pulled him back in. And so for us as a church, when others trust us, when, when they cross this line, and it's a hard line to cross, when they get over the fear and they come to you and they begin to confess things to us, we must respond in grace, in love every time because that's how God responds to us through Christ. Now let me read this passage again so we can understand why this is such a big deal that we actually do this and put this into practice. Again, James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other And pray for each other so that you may be healed. James says that confessing our sins to one another brings healing. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? There's a lot of debate and discussion over this. Now, I don't believe that James is saying, hey, if you're sick, if you've got a disease, if you've got like whatever, if you just come and find somebody to confess your sin to, then God is duty bound to give you physical healing here in this life. I don't think that's what James is saying. Those of us who are in Christ, we are promised eternal healing, eternal life, physical eternal life. We are promised that, but not in this life, but in the life that is to come. And so I don't think this is a promise where James is saying, hey, if you just confess your sin, then you're going to be healed. So if you're sick, you've just got some sin issue. That's not the point here. I think this is talking about emotional healing. I think this is talking about spiritual healing. But but here's the deal. I, I don't want to gloss over this physical aspect either. Because I think there is an aspect of this that James is talking about where confession can bring a type of physical healing here and now. Because all of us have experiences, every single one of us in this room have had the experience where we have hid something, we have held on to something, and how has that made us feel? It's made us feel sick. 
It gives you that feeling of a knot deep in your gut. It feels like you are carrying around the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I remember back in college, um, I lied to my dad about something. It wasn't even something that was like that consequential or a big deal. But I just flat out, straight up lied to my dad. And man, I remember for a couple days, like, I felt so guilty for lying to him. Like, I, I physically felt sick. Like, I was nauseous, that, that kind of not feeling in your gut. It felt like I was carrying an elephant on my shoulders. I felt, I physically felt awful. I physically felt sick. And after days of carrying this around, I'm like, this sucks. I can't keep feeling like this. This is awful. And so, man, I got to call my dad and tell him that I lied to him. And it was such a visceral moment. Like, this is like almost 20 years ago now. But I, I can still picture where I was on 408 in Orlando, Florida. I can pick, like, I just went through this toll. I can picture exactly where I was. And I called my dad and said, hey, listen, what I told you the other day, that wasn't true. I lied. And immediately, in a moment, that very real, that very physical, sick feeling that I had been carrying around for a couple of days was gone. In a moment, it felt like I was physically healed. I had freedom in that moment. That's what confession does to us. It has the power to set us free. And so those of us who are part of the Garden Oaks family, let's commit to being that kind of family. Let's commit to being that kind of church where we commit to going deep enough in relationship with one another where we can get to the point where we can be real, we can take off the facade, we can let the mask go so that we can live out the gospel with one another, we can confess our sin to one another, and in that, we don't find judgment, we don't find guilt, we don't find shame, but we find love and mercy and acceptance at the foot of the cross. Let's commit to being that kind of family. Here's the thing, I'm going to pray in a moment, Ben's going to come back up and we're going to respond as we continue worshiping through song. But let me just ask you, do you have a response you need to make today in regards to this? Maybe if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you are not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe the response for you today is to become a Christian, to begin following Jesus. And the way you do that is by acknowledging that you have sinned against God and that you can't do anything to fix it. Right, and here's the good news. Where we can't do anything to fix our sin, God did something to fix our sin. Again, like we said earlier, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life because we couldn't do that. He went to the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, and he rose from death so that we can have eternal relationship with God forever. And so if you've never come to God admitting that you've sinned, confessing your sin to him, calling on the name of Jesus for salvation, that would be the response for you today. But secondly, maybe you're here, maybe you've done that, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, but maybe you've got things that, you know, that feeling of carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, where you've got that, that feeling of the pit in the bottom of your stomach, because you've been carrying something around, maybe for days, maybe for months, maybe you've been carrying something around for years, and you feel sick about it. Maybe it's time for you to find freedom and let that go. Again, find somebody who you trust. Find somebody who will receive you with open arms with the love and grace of Christ and let that go. Get that off your chest so you can find the freedom that James says confession brings. Maybe that's your response.
And maybe your response is, if, if you're a follower of Christ and you're part of the Garden Oaks family, the response for all of us would be to make a commitment to live out the gospel in this way. That we would be the kind of people that those around us know they can bring their junk to us. They can be open. They can be honest. They can be vulnerable. They can be transparent. Because since we have received the love and the mercy and the grace of God, they know that we will be a people who always extend the love and the grace and the mercy of God to them. Let's pray. We'll continue worshiping.